Well, I want to wish you a very Merry Christmas and so grateful that you've chosen to spend this time with us. I'm Mark Rogup, one of the pastors here at College Park Church. And for those of you who gather regularly with us at College Park, we're so glad that you've come and hope that some family and friends are uh, with you this evening. We've been making our way through a series of psalms called the Royal Psalms. And so if you have a copy of God's Word, either in your hand or on your phone or some other electronic device, I'd encourage you to turn over to Psalm 72. Psalm 72, and I'm gonna briefly walk you through what this psalm is attempting to say, and I wanna be able to help you understand how it connects not only to the situation in which the psalmist was writing, but even more importantly, to the way in which Jesus came during this season that we call Advent. There's a particular text in Psalm 72. We'll start at the end. If you ever have picked up a novel and maybe you're one of those people that read the end to see how, it, uh, how it's gonna turn out, here's how this psalm is gonna conclude. It really is, frankly, the point of the entire psalm. Verses 18 and 19 of Psalm 72 say this. Even if you don't have a copy of the Bible, just hear these words. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. And then here comes the critical part of the psalm. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Here's the problem with that psalm. The problem with that psalm is that that part of the text is not yet fully true. Not yet fully true because there's moments when it seems as if you experience the beauty of the glory of God. You see it in a sunrise that comes up or a beautiful sunset. It happens when you're gathered around family during a meal and there's just uproarious laughter only to realize that our family holiday is not gonna last forever. Or maybe because there's someone not seated around the table who was there last year. Or maybe you think of the glory of what it means to be able to rest and maybe this holiday season for you is gonna be a season where you're gonna try and just get some downtime to be able just to to slow down a little bit, but you know January 1 is coming and everything's gonna start back up again. How many of you do like what I do? When I go on vacation, I know when the vacation is half over, I hit a depressed wall and my wife has to remind me, honey, we still got half the vacation left. I'm like, I know, but it's half over already. She's like, come on, right? There's something hardwired into all of us as human beings and it's this. We get little tastes of what is really beautiful, but it never fully and finally satisfies. Oh, it's great in the moment, but the reality is it doesn't last. Psalm 72 helps us to see that the psalmist was longing for a day when a king would come and he would rule in such a way that everyone would have what they need Justice would be fully delivered, human beings would flourish like they were designed to, and it would never end. Imagine that, Christmas, every single day of the year. Some of you, it's exhausting to think about, but think of it, it's Christmas of all that's good about it. And here's, here's what this psalm, I just wanna show you what it tells us. It tells us that what human beings long for, namely justice 
and flourishing are only found in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Christ child who came this time of year, who brought the inauguration of hope, and yet the best is still yet to come. So let me just share a few things with you from this text and help you understand. Psalm 72 says this single truth, this King of Kings, this Lord of Lords, this Jesus, is what every single one of us needs. Psalm 72 says this, give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. Now, when this psalm was written, David was partially in mind, but like so many things in the Bible, there's a double meaning to it. The the view was David, but there was this other coming king, and he says, give justice to your king, O God, and righteousness to the royal son. He says in verse four, may he defend the cause of the poor of the people and give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. So here's what's going on. The psalmist is longing for something that you can't bring for yourself, namely justice. He longs for justice to, as Martin Luther King said, to roll down the hills. He longs for justice to be brought to bear on society. You know what this is like a little bit when you travel along the highway and someone blows your doors off and then a mile later you see the police sirens or the lights and you're like, "Uh uh-huh, right? And you drive by and you're like, justice, right? And there's something right about that reality. The psalmist longs for justice. Listen to verse nine, he says, May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. Now, those of you who know the Christmas story know that kings did come and fall down before Jesus. May all kings come and fall down before him. All nations serve him. So the, the idea is that this king brings ultimate justice. So, so imagine a wicked ruler who commits genocide standing in front of the king of kings, and Jesus says to this, let's just say it's Pol Pot. I know what you did. Well, let's make it on a personal level. Imagine the person who's lied about you for years finally having to stand in front of you, in front of Jesus, and having Jesus say, tell him, and have them look at you and say, I lied. Or imagine someone who took advantage of you, having to acknowledge how straight up wrong it was. Right now you live in the gap between what happened and what you want in terms of justice. And the picture of this King of Kings and Lord of Lords is one who holds justice in his hand and is able to bring it. And he brings it to people who can't accomplish it on their own. So this king of kings, this picture that we see, is a reminder that there's something within the human heart that longs for particular things that we can never fully grab on our own. There's more in this text. Not only what we need, justice, but also what we need, flourishing. He he describes things like this. Listen to verse three. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. In verse six, he describes this leader, may he be like rain that falls on mown grass, like showers that water the earth. 
Verse seven, in his days may, righteous, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. Now just think of the announcement that the shepherds or that the angels made to the shepherds when they appeared and they told the shepherds, peace on earth and goodwill towards men. They were announcing the coming peace that human beings so desperately need and so desperately long for. Verse 16, here's what he says. May there be an abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. And may the people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. What, what the psalmist is picturing here is a return back to the Garden of Eden. A moment when human beings were able to flourish in a way that God had designed them to flourish. And what the psalmist is picturing here is of a great leader who cares for his people, a leader who not only is able to bring justice, but able to help people flourish. And what you'll find is that Jesus fills the gaps between where life is and where it should be. In other words, you don't understand your humanity unless Jesus is in the middle of it. You see, what Jesus does is he adds value to every single person. The Bible calls that the image bearer principle. Helps us to understand that no matter how old, how young, how smart or how not, no matter where you've been from or what you've done, there's value because God looks at you and sees the very image of God in you. So that by understanding how Jesus sees you, it changes everything. Jesus changes how you view money. Jesus changes how you view sexuality. Jesus changes how you view your career because you can pursue the gifting that God has given you. You can pursue all of that fully knowing that that thing that you're pursuing doesn't at the end of the day own you. Because when you see yourself in light of who Jesus is, that changes everything. A few weeks ago, I was reading a blog post by a, literature professor, and she was saying there's eight pieces of fiction that every Christian should read. I found that interesting, so I looked at the blog post, and then I realized I've not read any of them. <laughs> I was pretty embarrassed. So three weeks ago, I started reading Jane Eyre. Men, don't judge me, all right? <laughs> it's scary, all right? It's, yeah. There's this moment, though, in Jane Eyre when She's in love with this man named Rochester, Mr. Rochester. I won't ruin the story for you. You could read the book, don't see the movie. Um, and, and there's this other woman that she thinks Mr. Rochester loves. Her name is Miss Ingram. And in order to convince herself that she's not worthy of Mr. Rochester's love, she paints two portraits. One portrait of Miss Ingram, although she's never seen her, and she paints her beautiful and lovely and gorgeous, and she paints a picture of herself disheveled, unattractive. And every time feelings for Mr. Rochester begin to flow into her heart, she pulls out those two portraits and reminds herself, this woman is beautiful and I'm ugly. And the problem is those thoughts that run through her mind and her system of trying to deal with her emotions, it doesn't actually work because she can never convince herself she's that ugly and she doesn't know how beautiful Mrs. Ingram is in the first place. And when I read that, I thought, you know what? That sounds just like me all the time. Creating fictitious pictures of either who I am or who I'm not. 
And we live in a two-portrait world, and we actually need a third portrait, the portrait of Christ, to be able to see what true righteousness is, to be able to see what true loveliness is, to be able to see what a true king is like who brings the glory of God over the face of the earth. Psalm 72 pictures this king that we so desperately need. Verse 11 says this, kings fall down before him, and I love this in verse 12, for he delivers the needy when he calls the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of those who are in need. From oppression and violence he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. You need to read the rest of the New Testament to understand how Jesus ultimately fulfills this. In fact, if you don't have a place to go to church first of the year, we're walking through the book of John, one of the best gospels to help you understand the life and the ministry of Jesus. We'd love to have you come and just walk with us through this gospel. You'll learn things about Jesus that you never knew. In fact, if you're a follower of Jesus, the gospel of John helps to anchor us and to remind us some important things about Jesus. Let me give you a few. No one could have accomplished perfection like Jesus. No one could have provided a once-for-all sacrifice but Jesus. No one could have defeated sin and death and the grave but Jesus. No one is able to bring peace on earth but Jesus, and no one will be able to make the glory of God fill the entire earth but Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's why this particular time of year is so significant because what happened at Easter is the Christ child comes and hope is inaugurated and by the Christ child coming, we are reminded that God sent help on the way. And when you receive Christ, the trajectory of your life changes forever because God changes the one thing inside of you that you could never change which is your heart. So how does Jesus bring the glory of God? He brings the glory of God that covers the water, the Bible says, that covers the face of of the earth, like the water covers the sea. He does this by taking care of the one thing that has affected everything, namely sin. The wrong things that we've done, the brokenness of the world, all of it is connected to this fundamental problem in the world. And Jesus comes as a baby, lives a perfect life, dies on the cross for what purpose? The purpose to bring justice and to help people flourish under the beautiful banner of God's glory and his kingdom. So if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, can I just ask you to think about this one question? What is it going to take? Eventually, you're gonna run into something. And I hope you'll remember this evening. Hopefully, you'll you'll remember just what I'm going to say right now. You're going to run into something. It's going to be the death of a loved one. It's going to be a marriage or a relationship breakup. It's going to be the fix that doesn't really last. It's going to be the career that you thought was going to fulfill everything within you. And those things that you want in and of themselves aren't necessarily bad longings or bad desires. It's just they get placed on the wrong things. And when they go the wrong direction, here's what happens. For a few moments, you think, I got it. And then you wake up and you look in the mirror and you think, 
who am I? Or you climb to the top of a corporate ladder, you get there, you secured that huge bonus you thought was going to give you everything. You look at it, and you realize, this isn't it. And the reason that is the case is because God has designed humanity with an increasingly large longing for something more. A North African first century theologian put it this way. Our hearts, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Psalm 72 says this, may the whole earth be filled with his glory. The message of Christmas is simply this. Jesus was what we needed, he is what we need, and he always will be what we need. Because he's the only one that can solve the ultimate problem of humanity. The way in which we constantly try to pursue fulfillment and justice and flourishing in all of the wrong places. So if you're a follower of Jesus, can I just remind you, brother, sister, Jesus is what you need right now. The same Jesus who rescued you from your sins is the same Jesus you need today. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, maybe even on this Christmas holiday weekend, you'll come to understand, you know what? There's something more that I need. And we'd love to have that conversation with you, or maybe even tonight. You might believe what you know is true, but you've not incorporated into your heart. And you might, by faith, do what the Bible says. If you call on him, Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you'll be saved. Why? Because Jesus is what you need. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that there is this enormous need in our lives that you've come to meet. We thank you that by your coming in this Advent season as a baby, as your life continues, as you pay the atonement for our sins on the cross, that you make it possible for justice and human flourishing to even be possible. And so while we just, while we just bask in what that means, we also want to recommit ourselves to the implications of the fact that you are what we need. Lord Jesus, we need you for our marriages, we need you for our singleness, we need you for our careers, we need you every single moment of every single day. And we're thankful that you are sufficient for everything we need. So help us. Help us to feel that, help us to know it, and Lord, help us to believe it tonight. We pray all this in the name of the King of kings and Lord of lords, who one day will make the glory of God cover the face of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.